It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 360 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. This episode is called Decisions. It is May 20, 2022, and this is Jen. So I'm going to start off kind of going forward on something I talked about in the previous show. We talked about that uh, diversity tool that uh, Activision Blizzard had announced. It, I guess, came from the... It's Activision Blizzard King, so it came from King. And it was pretty controversial because it seemed like... It, it seemed to many people, I've read tweet about it on you know on Twitter and also my own thoughts about it, that if you want diverse characters, you hire diverse workers. That's what you do. So you can get people who actually represent whatever it is you're trying to check check off on your diversity box that actually like live that experience, you know, or are from that culture or are, you know, part of LGBTQ or whatever, you know, people with disabilities and stuff like that. But instead, no, let's throw it through an algorithm thing or whatever it does. So surprising no one, there was a lot of pushback about this and a lot of people making fun of it. So Activision Blizzard tweeted... I think the day after they actually posted information about this or whatever, and they wrote this, we recently shared a blog post that raised questions about how we approach diversity in our games. While the prototype tool has been tested internally, it is not in active use. Our dev teams have always and will continue to drive in-game content and then continues with a second post. We have updated the post, the one that originally got everybody all upset, to clarify the purpose of this tool, which is one small component of our broader DE&I efforts and is not intended to be a replacement for diverse perspectives. We regret any offense that the original post may have caused. But they made the decision to post that as, as though it was a thing. Like, that, you've seen it if you... You know, if you've been on Twitter when that went out, oh boy, you've seen it. And a lot of people didn't like it. And it wasn't clear that that wasn't something they were using. Because if I remember what I read about this before, it came from King. It was originally what King used to make diversity for its characters. And the implication seemed to be that this was what Activision Blizzard was going to do for all their games now. And it's just kind of icky to kind of, you know decide on what a character should be based on the little checked boxes essentially that were in that like octagonal shape whatever it was and it's just yeah but they decided to do it and then they decided to backtrack on it so here is a post from activision blizzard called king's diversity space tool which honestly you know diversity space tool i'm thinking like you know are you making a sci-fi game i mean what's this right you know but no it's not as cool as that at all so this was written by eric alt who has the best name in gaming (laughs) alt you know who doesn't have alts right um on may 12th and it is an editor's note 
There has been conversation online, okay, they found that, uh, regarding the diversity space tool, particularly concerning its intent and our commitment to diversity. We've edited this blog post to clarify that this prototype is not being used in active game development. We would like to add the following comment for additional context. Started in 2016... Wow, that's a while back. Uh, the diversity space tool currently in beta was designed as an optional supplement to the hard work and focus our teams already place on telling diverse stories with diverse characters. But decisions regarding in-game content have and will always be driven by development teams. The tool was developed at King and has been beta tested by several developers across the company, all of whom have provided valuable input. The objective of using the tool is to uncover unconscious bias by identifying existing norms in representation and acknowledging opportunities for growth in inclusion. It is not a substitute for any other essential effort by our teams in this regard, nor will it alter our company's diversity hiring goals. Over the past several years, the development of the tool was done with the support of all our employee DE&I networks, and we collaborated with external partners to create an even more robust tool. The tool isn't meant to be used in isolation. Teams would sit down with company DE&I staff to identify existing norms and then discuss, educate, consult, and collaborate on how a character's representation is expressed beyond those norms. This process is intended to create a conversation. Oh, they created a conversation, all right. <laughs> all online. <laughs> This process is intended to create a conversation where our developers, assisted by the tool, challenge assumptions, assess choices, and find opportunities for authentic representation to be fostered in our games. Activision Blizzard is committed to reflecting the diversity of its millions of players around the world through representation and inclusion in its games as well as its employees. Our intent with this blog entry was to share an in-progress piece of our journey in this endeavor. We recognize and respect that all people may be on their own unique point in their journey with DE&I. The diversity space tool is not a definitive evaluation of diversity in-game content. Rather, it is a bridge. It is a bridge in opening previously unspoken conversations in how thoughtful inclusion can happen and thrive in games. So that's their thing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think they understood that people didn't like this for all the reasons you can probably think of um, and more. Uh, if you've read it online, a lot of people had a lot to say about this, but Blizzard may have good intentions. Whoever wrote the original post may have had good intentions, but if they thought that people were going to look at that and go, oh, so you're just going to push things through an algorithm now. Yeah, that's not good. You know, this sort of thing. And people were like dissecting it like, oh, look, these traits give you this many points and that kind of stuff. And it was just kind of like tone deaf like really tone deaf like i understand entirely that people would like to see themselves represented in the games they play and that could be gender that could be age that could be disability that could be lgbtq that could be different cultures and things like that you know there's like a variety and to post the thing that they posted previous to this we're sorry post um <laughs> you know i don't understand how they wouldn't immediately realize that people were going to assume that we're, it's all an algorithm now. You know, it's just like if you want diverse characters in your games, you hire diverse people. 
that's the way it is. That's the best way of doing it. You know, if you're going to include a character with disabilities in your games, you should probably talk to people who have that disability and say, am I on the right track? What should I change? You know, this kind of stuff, for example. But, you know, an algorithm. Let's do an algorithm. So that was a decision they made that was really bad. And then they decided to give us this. And yeah, there it is. There is a wonderful thread here from a woman named uh, Shania Moon, who is the engine producer at Coalition Gears and a former Unity 3D and at Sony Santa Monica person, worked on God of War and some other stuff. Um, and in response to this thing, she wrote this thread. There are probably more than a few marginalized devs from Actabliz looking at the news today and tearing their hair out. And to them, I say, I am so sorry, and I'll buy you a drink next time. In case anyone is confused, the reason the King tool is so shameful slash embarrassing is because if you look at a character who is zero on all of the categories, i.e. a character with no culture or gender identity, etc., what you get is your average straight white cis male protagonist. It's the idea that other cultures, sexualities, neurodivergence, physical disability, all of these things are extra. All of these things are outside the norm and therefore you have to justify them in order to include them. This is the source of the what? Do you want a non-binary black Muslim lesbian in a wheelchair next argument as if that person doesn't exist and certainly isn't part of the audience for games as a product? Parentheses. I do want that. They do exist. They are part of the audience. End of parentheses. Contrary to this chart, a white, cis, straight, able-bodied man does have identity as a result of those things. Being cisgender is a gender identity. Being able-bodied is a classification. Being straight is a sexual identity. You don't get to be the default and never consider this. How do you represent diversity in a game? By hiring diverse devs and actually listening to them, rather than trying to boil it down to a score. You can't tell me there haven't been people internally at Blizzard who wanted a black woman champ they just weren't listened to and i think she says that better than i could have but yep um in better news the game workers alliance they are working on unionizing of course and they wrote a thing on may 19th on twitter that says this our election results are just around the corner and we would like to invite everyone who has supported our campaign to our virtual watch party on monday this fight was no easy feat and we want to share our excitement with you please join us at twitch dot tv slash game workers alliance i think um and that's going to be on the 23rd and i'm not sure it looks like it's going to uh happen on twitch at 12 p.m pacific 2 p.m central 3 p.m eastern and 7 p.m london um so if you want to watch that happen there's where you go and uh, everything i talk about will be in the show notes at shatteredsoulstone.com so if you are doing something else like playing diablo or something while you're listening to this and i mean that's cool go right ahead you know do whatever works for you but um and you can't really like go click the link right now it'll be there for you anyway on the uh, soulstone website last episode i talked a bit about gaming companies and how they were handling uh within the company whether or not they were going to uh support reproductive rights ars technica has an article titled sony reportedly forces insomniac to stay silent on abortion rights sony agrees to match corporate donation but refuses to speak publicly on the issue so i'll read you part of this Ratchet and Clank and Spider-Man developer Insomniac Games has made a $50,000 donation to the Women's Reproductive Rights Assistance Project. It's WRRAP, and its parent company, Sony, will reportedly match that number. 
But those donations come among public silence from both companies on the contentious issue and reports of internal drama surrounding a response to the Supreme Court's reported efforts to overturn 1973's Roe v. Wade precedent. Last week, Bloomberg reported that PlayStation president Jim Ryan sent an email to staffers. Oh, yeah, this is the guy that did that. Oh, yeah. Um, Urging them to respect differences of opinion among everyone in our internal and external communities on issues such as abortion rights and continued respect does not equal agreement but it is fundamental to who we are as a company and as a valued global brand ryan reportedly continued and then talked about his cat's birthdays following ryan's message to employees the washington post reports that insomniac ceo ted price sent an email to studio employees last friday outlining the corporate donations to wrrap which sounds almost like a radio station but it's an acronym uh, sony will also match employee donations made through its internal charity portal and plans to reimburse employees who may need to leave the state to obtain abortion services, according to the report. But Price's email also reportedly detailed how Sony, quote, will not approve any statements from any studio on the topic of reproductive rights. That's despite Insomniac sending nearly 60 pages of employee messages to PlayStation Studios head Herman Hulst asking the company to, quote, do better by employees who are directly affected by any pending abortion decision. Quote, we fought hard for this and we did not win, Price wrote. Price went on to address the sometimes awkward parent-child corporate relationship that has developed since Sony acquired Insomniac in 2019. Quote, as far as our freedom of speech goes, while we do have a lot of autonomy that often gets taken for granted, there are times where we need to acknowledge we're part of a larger organization, Price reportedly wrote. Quote, for the most part, our ability to tweet has been unfettered. However, there are rare times when we're in opposition like this week and Sony will have the final say. So there's that. I'll let you read the whole article if you want to later. We've also got Dot Esports, which mentioned something about this as well. And it's pretty similar to the other one. Insomniac, according to CEO Ted Price, is not allowed to publicly post about the donation. Price said in an email that going over Sony's head and tweeting about the donation would create, quote, material repercussions for Insomniac as a wholly owned subsidiary, end quote. If Insomniac did comment on the donation, Price also said he feared, quote, any progress that we might make in helping change Sony Interactive Entertainment's approach would be stopped dead in its tracks. In reaction to the news on social media, the reaction to the news on social media has been mixed with some people holding the opinion that politics should be kept out of games while others including employees of insomniac have urged the company to say something about it now as far as that keeping politics out of games this is something that comes up from time to time that um, i'm going to comment on because it's here in this article and reminded me about it so when you say i don't want any politics in games what you mean is i don't want any politics that i personally don't like or I am uncomfortable with or it's generally you know in my opinion this is my opinion alone people that come to gaming companies and yell about well I don't want your politics in in the game they're kind of self-centered assholes honestly because you know you live in a world there's a lot of people here everybody's different everybody's valuable okay so you don't want to you shouldn't want to be the person that says shut up about everything except the game because there is politics in games world of warcraft has two factions for a very long time that wanted to beat the hell out of each other this is political okay (laughs) they have two factions one is red one is blue come on right now i don't think they planned that to be political i think they planned like warcraft started off as like a little war game you know humans versus orcs right so 
you know, it goes from there. But, like, other things have that, too. You know, there's all kinds of choices you make in video games that could be seen as political. And I get, like, you know, if, if you don't like a game, if you feel it's gotten too political in some way that offends you, then play something else. There's a lot of games out there, you know. But this don't put your politics in games is not helping anyone. And people who go so far as to post that online or in a, say it in a podcast of their own or this sort of thing, you know, you're going to have friends that are going to look at you differently than they did before. Politics in gaming, it's going to be there. It makes sense for companies that are doing video games to release their opinions about support for whatever the current thing is that people don't want to hear politics about because it shows you like who's understanding of what's going on and has some empathy for people who are going to be potentially experiencing this kind of hardship because, you know, humans should care about other humans. You know what I mean? So I'm going to go off my rant on that. I haven't done a rant in here in a while, but, and I don't even know if this would be called a rant. I think it's just common sense. You know, you cannot get around politics in video games. You know, I mean, if you want a game that has no politics in it, um, I don't know, Tetris maybe, um, you know, <laughs> right. You just move little boxes around. So anyway, that's that's where we're at um, now with that. And in addition, Meta has told employees to stop discussing abortion at work. And that's another tricky thing. So we know what Meta is. It's the, the uh, parent company of Facebook. And we know that Meta's got this like metaverse thing that they're trying to do. And so in a way, they are making games, right? So yeah, uh, this is from The Verge. That'll tell you a little bit more about it. The blurb at the top says, employees say the stance runs counter to meta policies on discussing Black Lives Matter and trans rights. So here's a little piece from that. A meta executive told employees on Thursday that they are prohibited from talking about abortion on Workplace, an internal version of Facebook, citing, quote, an increased risk, end quote, that the company is seen as a, quote, hostile work environment. Wow. That's as tone deaf as I can think of from a company. But this is, you know, this is Facebook and all that. They're not real good at these kinds of things. The policy which Meta put in place in 2019 prohibits employees from discussing, quote, opinions or debates about abortion being right or wrong, availability or rights of abortion, and political, religious, and humanitarian views on the topic, according to a section from the company's internal respectful communication policy seen by The Verge. Some employees have called on management to do away with the policy in the aftermath of the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion that could over well it says would overturn Roe v. Wade, but we don't know that yet. Um, arguing that the ban is at odds with the employees being allowed to talk quote respectfully about issues like Black Lives Matter, immigration, and trans rights. During an all hands meeting with employees Thursday, Meta's VP of HR Janelle Gale said that abortion was quote the most divisive and reported topic end quote by employees on workplace. She said that quote even if people are respectful and they're attempting to be respectful about their view on abortion. It can still leave people feeling like they're being targeted based on their gender or religion. According to a recording of her comments obtained by The Verge, quote, it's the one unique topic that kind of trips the line on a protected class pretty much in every instance. Yeah, there's a lot more in here. It's talking about, there's a link in here to Politico with the Supreme Court draft and mentioning that sort of thing. After that leak, Meta's number two executive, Sheryl Sandberg, called abortion, quote, one of our most fu fundamental rights on her public Facebook page. She continued to write, every woman, no matter where she lives, must be free to choose whether and when she becomes a mother. She wrote, few things are more important to women's health and equality. So 
now Meta's saying, no, 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 don't talk about that, you know, and it's just kind of icky overall. I mean, this is something on people's minds. This is something that's going to affect a lot of people. If it doesn't affect you personally, it may affect some of your loved ones. So I think gaming companies should speak up about this kind of stuff because to try to shove it out of the way as though it's just politics is... It's if you do that as a gaming company and you decide, okay, we're not going to have our workers even be allowed to talk about this topic at work. We're not going to talk about it on social. No one, none of our social media accounts are going to be able to say this stuff. You will give the impression of that you've made a choice and the choice is to either ignore it or that you're not in favor of it as a company. And that's going to affect all of the people working in your company who may have different views. Moving on. So uh, Wyatt Chang did basically an ask me anything and it was on twitter and it was he wrote this to honor 10 years of diablo 3 i'm setting aside time this sunday morning to answer questions people have about diablo 3 focusing on the development launch and game prior to reaper souls what do you want to know and i don't know i think i mentioned this in the last show but i don't think i actually read most of them let me look at my notes here real quick uh, yeah, I, I kind of linked to one of his, but I didn't really say any of them. So now that I'm looking at them, I'll read you a few. Doom Scream asked, I was always curious about the Talsman. Could you share some of the concepts around it and what pros slash cons it had that led to its removal from the game? And Wyatt Chang wrote this. Oh, the Talsman. Good memory. So the Talsman was originally designed as an evolution of D2 charms. What's cool about charms? More items that make your character more powerful with a great deal of flexibility in choosing what stats you want to focus on was what wasn't cool for some people about charms stuffing up your inventory so you had to play even more inventory tetris so our answer was the talisman a dedicated place where you could hold nine charms we also played around with making a charm mini game maybe they would have color and matching colors would give a multiplier maybe there were patterns that you could link to get bonuses as we got close to launch we thought we could never shake the feeling that it just felt super mathy the more interesting we tried to make the mini game the more non-mathy people felt like they had to go onto an external website to quote solve and quote an optimal solution for them what was worse is that with a variety of mini game mechanics when you found a new charm you sometimes had to stop and redo your entire charm configuration internal testing people were either ignoring the system completely or finding it really tedious we swung the other way too and tried to make it just a flat storage of nine charms with no matching bonuses this was actually mildly successful but then it just felt like nine extra inventory slots that didn't have enough personality we cut it for scope and i think back fondly to that talisman if we had a life service mentality at the time instead of cutting it we probably would have just backlogged it as something to revisit at as a post ship feature which i thought was kind of interesting uh seattle witch has a question about whimsydale uh, good morning, happy anniversary. Is it true that Whimsydale, Whimsyshire, slash Whimsyshire were a direct response from the devs to criticism that the game was too cartoony? Also, how long did it take to create D3 from the start of putting the team together to launch date? Wyatt Chang talks about Whim Whimsyshire. Whimsyshire came about due to an internal discussion following comments that a rainbow was in the game. Just before the Fields of Misery, where you're crossing a bridge that we have a rainbow created from that mist of the river, because you know, in all caps, that's what light does. What ensued was an internal debate on whether or not there are rainbows in Diablo. It was the, quote, gothic dark world where all hope is lost versus if you're going to save the world, you need beauty that's worth fighting for with a little bit of 
um, a law of physics thrown in. And amidst the debate, one of our insanely talented environment artists, Pete, drew the Diablo 3 rainbow image, and he's got a link to it on Tumblr. And the team thought it was so awesome that we had to turn it into a playable level. So that's how you got, you know, the cuddle bears and the unicorns and stuff like that. Um, so that's just kind of neat, you know. Unless they're talking about, is that Whimsydale or Whimsyshire? I don't know. But in any case, that's how the thing came about. And then one more. Okay, this one was from Red October. And Red October asked Wai Chang, Serious question, what's the best that didn't get released to the world due to technical limitations? Less serious question, what's more exciting, the last 10 years or the next 10 years? Wai Chang responded, I would have loved if tooltips on skills could update to reflect the damage done using the gear you're currently wearing. It says 180% weapon damage or whatever because that's how the tech is built. Hard to judge the last 10 years against the next 10 years, but I will say that the next 10 years for Blizzard are super exciting. So that's pretty cool. Moving on from that, uh, the P child at THAP child um, on Twitter uh, posted this. He wrote, I'm excited to announce that Lord Fluffy and I will be joined by special guest at Candlesun, which is Y Chang's Twitter account handle, on this week's new meta podcast. We're talking 10 years of D3, Diablo Immortal release, and more. And then it says, have a question for Wyatt. We're picking some viewer questions to ask live. So if you want to get on that, get in on that. It's going to be live on Thursday, May 26th on Twitch TV at Lord underscore Fluffy which is Lord Fluffy. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll have the P-Child and Wyatt Chang as a special guest host. And if you're into that, you might want to catch it or pick it up on the video. I'm sure there'll be a video on Twitch after that. So moving on to Diablo Immortals, so Diablo 3, um, although they did mention Diablo Immortal in that one. Today, the Blizzard official news accounts posted something about Diablo Immortal, and it says, Diablo Immortal, the gates of hell open to the rest of Asia Pacific on June 22. And it's got a graphic here, like a, well, it's, it's an artwork with all of the classes and just kind of glaring out at you, you know? So it's, there's not a whole lot here, but I'll read you some. Greetings, travelers. The world stone is shattered and now it falls on the heroes of sanctuary to fend off the terrors rising in its wake. We are glad to announce that following Diablo Immortal's global launch on June 2nd, beginning on June 22 PT, brave adventurers from the rest of Asia Pacific can take up arms against the demonic forces of Skarn, Lord of Damnation, an untold chapter in the Diablo storyline taking place between the events of Diablo 2 and Diablo 3 and a sinister plan to uncover awaits. Diablo Immortal, our first MMORPG, massively multiplayer online action role-playing game and free-to-play Diablo game, will become available on Windows PC Android and iOS in the rest of Asia Pacific regions, including Hong Kong, Indonesia, Macau, Malaysia, the Philippines, Singapore, Taiwan, and Thailand. The game will also be available in Vietnam on PC only. These regions will receive detailed game servers to bring players better connectivity and ping, all the better to relish the AAA demon slaying experience players know and love. Players who have pre registered across all platforms will receive the stunning Haradrim cosmetic set when the game launches. There's a couple uh, things. Things. Uh, in order to get that set, if you've already done the pre-registration, you have to log into Diablo Immortal and complete the game's tutorial within 30 days after release to claim the Haradrim cosmetic set. Offer can only be claimed for one character per account, so choose wisely. And then there's like 
requirements for, you know, iOS, Android, Windows PC. Someone says, if I decide to create a character in another server on June 2nd and start to play, will I be able to later transfer my character to my region server after it goes live? The answer is no. The character created on the specific server will not be able to transfer to another. If players wish to create a character and play on servers that go live on June 22, you need to create a new character instead. So that's good to know. There was a video posted by the Diablo Immortal account, and it says, are you ready for Hell's Next Level? Pre-register for Diablo Immortal on Google Play. And the video is amazing. It's got the uh, the sorcerer and the barbarian, and they're fighting things. And like it's like they pop out out of the... the I don't know if it was a phone or a tablet off the top of my head. They like pop out and look three-dimensional and, and all this, and it's like a really neat battle. So go check that out if you can, because it's just kind of fun to watch. The Diablo Immortal account also said, Bring Your Friends Mayhem is coming to the Heliquary. And there's this, like, big demon that's on fire. Lassel the flame spun in the Heliquary. And it's like a little 22-second video, so that might be fun to fight. And then we have a couple of videos from Echo Hack, And one of them is uh, Becoming Immortal Dark Clan and PvP Guide. And then after that or well i don't know which one's first actually but he also has the legacy of the haradrum diablo immortal guide and um sand and culling stones legacy of the haradrum and it's uh if you can check that out and see all about it and if you want to do something like that you can do it there's an article from pure diablo from vang written uh today or posted today may 20 and it's talking about Diablo Immortal coming to PC, and it's also, he's decided to play a monk, and talked about that a little bit, and then there, there is a poll on here. Now that Diablo Immortal is coming to PC, will you be playing it? There are three options, yes, no, and wait. we'll wait and see what it's like. And then they're talking about the latter season in Diablo 2 Resurrected, I believe, because I think that's the one that had it recently. Um, so that's you know, a little bit about that. You can read that if you want to. There's also uh, Max Roll. They have guides for everything, and they really got a lot of them together for Diablo Immortal, the launch. And so there's all these guides. There's a link in their tweet where you can go and look for whatever class you think you want to play and see how that goes before the game launches. And just for fun, um, Kelric, who makes amazing art, and who has who is named in Diablo 3 uh, as one of the people that can be one of the gold enemies, you know, posted their painting of Lilith. And it's just amazing. It's a really interesting take. And uh, it's I love this painting. I think it's so good. It's it's not like, you know, it's not just a copy of Lilith that we saw in you know the video for Diablo 4. It plays off of that in Kelvrick's style. And it's really good. So if you haven't seen that one yet, I'll put a link to it and everything else in the uh, Shattered Soulstone website for you to check out. And I think that's all I have for today. So I'm going to close the show. You have been listening to episode 360 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan in Diablo 3 for sure. Both are named Shattered Soulstone. We are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as at the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.